Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 10 through 30. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord saying, if only we had meat to eat, surely it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not only one day or two days or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, the people I am with number 600,000 on foot, and you say, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month? Are there enough flocks and herds to slaughter for them? Are there enough fish in the sea to catch for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading for today is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Our God of love, grace, and wisdom, would you meet us this morning in our places of wilderness? And would you give us your spirit that we may surrender to your love? Be with us now as we sit with your scriptures. Would you guide our thoughts and our hearts? And would you direct them toward yourself? that we may behold something afresh of the glory of Christ and be changed more and more into his likeness. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So this morning we're continuing our series that we're calling Wisdom and Wilderness as we reflect on our own experiences of wilderness, so to speak, through the lens of this biblical story of Israel's sojourning in the wilderness of Sinai after the exodus when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, but before they're entering into the promised land of Canaan. And so we're reading about that in the book of Numbers this fall. And if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks is this idea of wilderness as the central or a central motif of the biblical story that gets picked up and developed later in the Bible and even later again in Christian spirituality as a conceptual framework by which we make sense of and relate to our experiences of suffering and prolonged uncertainty in the world. And so when we talk about our own wilderness experiences, we're not talking about you know, backcountry hiking in the great outdoors or anything fun like that, right? Rather, we're talking about wilderness in this biblical sense, which isn't fun, it's scary. The wilderness experience is one of living in unsettled and unsettling times, living through seasons of struggle and sorrow when outcomes feel uncertain and the stakes feel high. And that's life in 2020, right? Um, this time of social and political and economic upheaval, all unfolding in the midst of a global health crisis. And then on top of that, we each have our own personal wilderness experiences, don't we? The things we're going through, perhaps an illness or an injury or a strained relationship or an unsustainable situation at work or at home or a personal struggle, depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, whatever it may be, what is your wilderness? And what's it like for you to be in it right now, to be in the wilderness? What does that feel like? Our personal wildernesses look different one to the next, but as we've been saying each week, every wilderness experience is painful and also loaded with possibility because wilderness, as we've seen, is the context in which it's possible to become wise. I know when I think about those people in my life who I go to for advice, whose wisdom is compelling to me, those people whose character I most admire and aspire to grow toward in my own life, they're always people 
who've gone through real suffering, yet somehow through it have not become bitter or cynical, but instead have become compassionate and generous and resilient. They've become wise. Wilderness, as we've said, it doesn't automatically produce that kind of wisdom in us, but rarely does that wisdom grow apart from the wilderness. So we wrestle with this reality, right, that becoming the kind of people we long to be involves a process that we really don't want to go through. And that is the wilderness journey. And this was true for Jesus, who, as the writer of Hebrews says, learned obedience through his sufferings. And it's true for those of us who follow Jesus and who take up a way of seeking to become human like him by communing with him, by imitating him. And of course, what we see in Jesus is that the way that he navigated his own wilderness and the way he leads us in navigating our wilderness is this way of entrusting ourselves to God. This morning, as we continue reading our story in Numbers of Israel's wilderness, we come to this place where we are looking at leadership and recognizing the ways in which God doesn't leave us alone in our experiences of wilderness. He doesn't just say, trust me in some abstract sense, but actually meets his people and meets us and leads us and in part leads us by providing leaders, by giving the gift of leaders, which is what our passage is about this morning. Last week, we focused on this, the episode around this episode, uh, the complaint of the people who wanted meat. If you remember, if you were here with us last week, uh, the people becoming nostalgic for the food that they used to eat back when they were slaves in Egypt uh, and, and complaining about their current situation in the wilderness because the menu was not satisfying to them. And so they began to look back on their time in slavery with this kind of revisionist history, selective memory of remembering how good the food was and even thinking of it as free food, despite the fact that the reality was they paid for it dearly with backbreaking labor and their own lack of freedom. But of course, as they were hungry in the wilderness or not enjoying the, the manna that God provided, they began to grumble and complain, and the cynical perspective of some began to creep into the hole, and the people longed to go back to slavery so that they could get food. And if you remember the story, God answered that, that request, that demand, with this sort of over-the-top, yes, but be careful what you ask for sort of answer. And it rained quail everywhere, and it was gross, three feet of quail as far as the eye could see in every direction. And the people hoarded it and grasped for it as if, like, finally we don't have to trust God anymore for our provision. And they gorged themselves on quail and ended up stuffing themselves to death. It was sort of a morbid, it's a morbid story. Um, and we talked about that last week. Well, this episode around Moses is what happens in the middle of that. Uh, and the leadership issue with Moses is really the hinge on which that whole story turns. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because as last week we focused on the complaint of the people and God's response, this week we're looking at the episode within the episode, the leader's complaint about the complaining people, and even the leader's appropriation of the cynical complaint that was coming from the margins. Moses complains, he says, I'm not able to carry all this people alone for they're too heavy for me. And so he's facing his own limited capacity, but it's more than that. He's also facing his own unwillingness to trust God and rest in God's capacity. 
If you look at verse 10, it says, the Lord was angry, Moses was displeased. And it's a way that it's a subtle word play there where Moses is portrayed not as standing in solidarity with the Lord's anger, but rather sharing in the displeasure and the complaint of the people. And there's a number of these stories as you go through numbers where Israel is in the wilderness and they're faced with, with difficult circumstances and they complain and what Moses does as their leader in that situation always determines how the story goes. Uh, it's usually Moses steps in and intercedes for the people. He steps into the gap between God and the people. It's this priestly work of a leader to listen and to know the people, to mediate and to lead while also practicing this full trusting reliance on God for the outcome of whatever happens. But here Moses doesn't intercede. He just joins his voice to the complaining people. His displeasure isn't the same as the Lord's. It's more like that of the people. And his strength begins to buckle under the burden of leadership. And God's response to Moses, we'll see, it's double-edged. In response to Moses' lack of trust and his unwillingness to intercede, God answers with judgment. It's indul this, indulging this foolish demand for meat with this yes answer of giving them something that's not good for them, but it's what they asked for, the quail. But to Moses' lack of capacity, we see God respond with compassion and with mercy and with provision, not only for Moses, but for the people. And God gives the gift of leaders, these 70 elders, each given a portion of the Spirit, that God had given to Moses. And so what, we're, what we see here in this text really is that Moses' leadership of Israel, it's inadequate for the demands of Israel's wilderness experience, both in terms of his character and in terms of his capacity. And so there's this, there's this challenge and this comfort that this text brings. And I, I personally feel both the challenge and the comfort. And the challenge, on one hand, is that there's this theme in the story all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, but really in this, in this passage we see it here too. And it's just, as the leader goes, so go the people. It's multiple trials of Israel, and God's response to his people is always a function of what does the leader do with that? And when Moses responds without faith, things go poorly. And I feel the weight of that. I mean, as a leader, honestly, is I, I, I'm mindful of my own inadequacies, both in terms of character and capacity, right? As we're looking honestly at ourselves, I feel those inadequacies. Some of you feel those inadequacies in me, I'm sure. But the challenge here, as we think about it, is what do you do with those? Right? What do you do? How do you relate to those realities? You know, will I stumble toward God and trust him and rely upon God for his provision, for his guidance, humbly seeking God's will, humbly seeking God's timing? Or will I stumble the other way, right, into self-defense mode, <laughs> into face-saving mode, or into overworking or obsessing over what people think of me or frenetically spending my time doing what the Psalms call uh, the anxious toil, of seeking to build the Lord's house without him. You know, will I, will I humbly relate to my limited capacities by trusting and seeking God's provision and guidance? Or will I arrogantly relate to my limited capacities by doubling down 
on my own efforts and agendas. That's a struggle. That's a leadership struggle. It's a daily struggle. And I would say right now in this particular wilderness moment, it's a particularly challenging one. You know, the complexity of our moment is a really hard one to be a leader in. And those of you who are joining as elders and deacons of the leadership bodies of our church are stepping into leading in a particularly challenging moment. We have a global pandemic going on. There's a movement against racial injustice that's really important right now. There's an economic future that's really uncertain right now. Our churches, Liberty Church and City Church, are in conversations about coming together and merging as one, which is a complicated process, and we're in the middle of it right now. And there's this political moment that we're in as the, election, as the election day draws nearer and nearer, and it seems like every day there's some big development that raises the stakes, right? And that's where we are. And the demands of leadership in that moment are massive. And the inadequacies that emerge in a, in a moment like that are, are real. Um, and, and they can be a heavy burden. And so as you come as elders and deacons, as we receive elders and deacons, as I think about my own inhabiting of this time and space, there's this challenge of what will we do with our inadequacies? Will we relate to those humbly? Will we bring those to God in such a way that our character grows in humility and wisdom, that it grows toward Jesus? Or will we relate to our inadequacies in a way that our character grows in the other direction of becoming less like Jesus. Wisdom for leaders in the wilderness looks like accepting and relating to our limitations wisely and learning to trust God in the midst of them. So that's the challenge, but there's also this incredible comfort that comes in this text. God's mercy and provision for his people are not limited by the capacities or the character of their leader. God gives the gift of more leaders, and he continues to lead his people forward despite Moses' failure of character and despite Moses' failure or limited capacity. And what we see here is this abundance of God's provision. There's like the dark comedy over the top like provision of the quail, you know, that's this God's like super abundant yes to a foolish request. And then we see this generous foretaste of God's abundance to come in which God responds to Moses' leadership failure with this merciful yes of, I'll give you 70 elders. And it lightens Moses' burden and it strengthens the people. If you keep reading the story of Israel forward, um, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way into the New, and we come to Jesus. And we begin to see how that story gets picked up in the life of Jesus and carried forward more into this moment that we're in now. What we begin to see in Jesus is that the, the people awaited a, a leader that was greater than Moses for a really long time, and in Jesus, they finally get one. And what we discover in Christ as he steps onto the scene is that we, we have a leader in him who is the greater Moses. Jesus is this faithful one, right, who endures temptation in the wilderness without faltering in trusting God for his life. And he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his people in order to lead us to our home with God. And Jesus is the priest who stands in the gap and says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He's not needing to unload his burdens on us. He has capacity to hold you and to hold me and all that we bring 
and he doesn't grow weary of you. Jesus is the leader that doesn't have to lean on his disciples to make up for what he lacks. It's actually the other way around. You know, when, when Jesus' competence and his capacity more than make up what's lacking in his disciples when 5,000 people need to be fed and his disciples want to send them home. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And his capacity spills over to them. And everybody eats and they're picking up leftovers. Jesus is our leader and we can trust him. And Jesus is our leader that we're called to imitate we lean into his capacity and we grow toward his character. But there's this other piece of the hope that we have now that is really important for us to recognize as the church, especially as we begin uh, to receive elders and deacons and we enter this moment of ordination, and it's the hope of the Spirit. Moses is there, and God sets apart these 70 other people, right? These elders who are going to help share the burden of leadership. But to do that, God takes a portion of the spirit that he had put on Moses and he distributes it over the 70 elders. And as a result, some of the 70, they start prophesying, right? These two guys. And other people come to Moses and they're saying, these two guys are prophesying. Aren't you jealous? Shouldn't we make them stop? And Moses' response is beautiful. He said, jealous? No. If only all God's people could be prophets. If only everyone had the spirit and the burden were not falling on the one, but the many, and the life of God were not dwelling in this calling upon the one, but God was making his home among the many. What we see is that hope of the spirit coming upon all God's people. It becomes the great hope of the people of Israel. And as you read into the prophets who follow, this hope that the Spirit would come upon all the people gets taken up and, and attached to this future moment that they called the day of the Lord. And if you read like prophet, the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, where they're awaiting the day of the Lord, this day that would come where God would come to set right all the things that are wrong, where God would bring his kingdom in fullness and drive out this wilderness experience with the fullness of his kingdom of justice and peace, this moment that they looked forward to, they called the day of the Lord, the sign of that day was the coming of the Spirit on all the people. And the prophet Joel says, in that day, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Even the male and female slaves among the people will receive the Spirit and become prophets. Everyone in the camp would be a prophet in that day. When Jesus comes and he dies and he rises and he actually accomplishes that great reconciliation between God and humanity and between all the families of the earth, he gives his spirit. He gives the spirit that the people had waited for forever. And you realize the reason Jesus came to die and to rise again is so that he could ascend and take his throne and be the, be the leader who gives the spirit to all the people. And that we would be able to receive this gift of life that the people needed all along that we would begin to inhabit the world as those infused with the very life and energy of God and begin to share that with the world. At the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, the Apostle Peter stood up and started preaching, and he actually 
referenced that prophecy from Joel chapter 2 about the sons and the daughters prophesying. And he says, that's what's happening right now. That day has dawned in Christ. And when the Apostle Paul starts to talk about what does that mean then for us, he says, you know what? Jesus, who ascended on high and who gives his spirit, who gives gifts to his church, he gives some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and some teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. He gives gifts to his church. And those gifts are people. They're the elders. They're the deacons. They're the community group leaders. They're the ministers. They're those who come to help the church become the church. They're those who lead. They're those who step into the gap between their neighbor and God and who build the bridge. And that's our calling. That's the calling as leaders. And we have, they tell us, the biblical writers tell us, we have the spirit and the gifts. Of course, we experience so often the lack of that, don't we? Because we live in this time where we're still awaiting the fullness of that kingdom to come. And we experience the injustice that persists inside of institutions that don't take up that calling fully, like ours and others. Why? It's not that we don't have enough of God. It's not that God has withheld from us anything that we need to rise to the occasion of being the people of God for the world. It's that we withhold ourselves from him. And the challenge of this text is to bring our inadequacies to him. And the comfort of this text is that God is not limited by our inadequacies. That the one who calls us to this work is faithful. The one who gives good gifts to his people is the one who empowers those people to lead us and equip us for the work that is ours to do. And some of those gifts are elders, some of those gifts are deacons, some are ministers, some are community group leaders, some are sisters and brothers in the community and spiritual friends. God gives good gifts to his children in order that we may become more the people he's calling, to be, calling us to be. And so as we receive elders and deacons this morning, let's receive the gift. God gives us leaders as a way of leading us into the future to which he's calling us. And for those who are coming to be ordained to offices today, be the gift. You are God's gift to us. Be the gift. Where you experience your own limited capacity, bring it to God. Seek him, his own will, his own provision, his agenda, and lead us in seeking the Lord. David Benner says, Christ does not simply want our compliance, he wants our heart. He wants our love and he offers us his. He invites us to surrender to his love. This is our wilderness calling as leaders, as followers, as shepherds, as servants, as God's beloved children. Surrender to God's love and find our, our home and our life in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.